Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. And we continue in our mini-series, I guess, if you want to call it that, um, concerning prophecies of tomorrow that are explaining to us what we see happening today. I want to consider this prophecy concerning globalism or a global mentality. The Bible speaks very clearly that it will be under the reign of the Antichrist, if you want to call it a reign, um, that the world will be very global. It'll be a, a, a one world type of a, a system, one world type of a government. And you look at Revelation 13 and verse 3, the Bible says, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And notice this, all the world wondered after the beast. You skip down to verse 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. In verse 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This passage is concerning the Antichrist, and we find that all the world wondered after him. Power was given to him over all nations, all kindreds, all tongues, and all that dwell on the earth shall worship him. I think that it's pretty plain to see that the culture, the mindset uh, during the time of the Antichrist is, is pretty global, right? I don't think that's anybody would argue with that. I also don't think that people would argue very much with this statement or this thought that it seems like the world is getting smaller every year. Now, what I mean by that is this. Um, at any given point, you could get on an airplane and you could be pretty much anywhere in this world within 24 hours. That's unprecedented. The, 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 all of human history, that's not been something that has been possible to do. But in our day, it is. Another factor is this. Information is more readily available and travels faster than at any other time in human history. Have you noticed this to be true? I thought this was really funny when, when this thought occurred. Um, I, a lot of times, know more about what's happening in some far-off place in the world than I do even know what's happening in my own community. Have you noticed that to be true? Because that information travels so fast, and something can be happening like real time in some other part of the world, and here we are watching it right in front of us right now. When at any other point in human history has that been available? All right, you following me here? So my statement of it seems like the world's getting smaller all the time, that's what I mean by that. Um, we know about the news uh, in far-off places, uh, we, we can be anywhere in a very short time. It's, it's, it's like the whole world has come together. Now, there have been world empires of the past, like Babylon, for example, and the Persian Empire, and the empire of Alexander the Great in Greece, and the Roman Empire. We've seen world empires before, but never before has the world ever been so interconnected as it is right now. In our modern day, we hear increased talks of and calls for more globalization. I'm sure you've heard that in the news. These calls, we need more globalization. It's not uncommon to hear uh, actually anymore it's not uncommon to hear talk of a single government or a single currency or even, even a single culture. 
Um, that is not uncommon anymore because issues of racism and issues of equity and fairness and, and all of this kind of stuff, we need to bring the cultures together to elevate man to equality and so on. But the, the question is, whose culture? Under whose culture and to what end? Who's heard of, who in here has heard of Agenda 21 or slash Agenda 2030? Anybody heard of that? Probably most have. The 21 stands for the 21st century. 2030 stands for the year. Uh, that's been something that has been sweeping the internet over the last year and a half, two years, what have you. But the, the gist behind that is that the United Nations has quietly been working on plans for a new world order, a one world government. Among items under discussion, uh, they discuss a global currency, a central bank, the end of national sovereignty, so no more USA, you know, mandatory vaccines, universal basic income, microchipping of citizens, and the end of fossil fuels. Now, of course, the United Nations has quickly disavowed any such thing, and our media has, uh, has debunked that as something that's not true, which may or may not be. I don't really know. But I think the more intriguing question is, why would a story like that actually spread so quickly across the Internet? Is it because the fantastic sells? Possibly. Or could it be that every element under discussion in that Agenda 21 is actually very plausible? Like when you look at the world today, it's easy to believe now. Whereas it might not have been 10, 20 years ago, it, it might not have been so easy to believe. And I used to think this actually about reading Bible prophecy. There was... There was a time when you, you read about the stuff in the book of Revelation, it's like, man, that just doesn't seem anywhere close. It just doesn't, that seems like that's something that's like so many years away and not in my lifetime and so on, because it didn't fit with our culture. It didn't fit with our way of life. But when you look at stuff now, it's like, I can easily see how that could happen. And like, even so many things like overnight have changed in the last year, have just completely, completely changed the way the culture thinks and so on. So it's really not hard to believe, and we look at the world, and it's easy to believe governments and influential people behind the scenes, you know, the, the powers behind the powers, could be making those kinds of exact plans. Sometimes it's easy to feel like those things are just around the corner, and those kinds of things are actually inevitable. I really honestly could share with you of some very serious-minded people who are calling for a greater and more intentional establishment of globalization. I think the events of the last year and a half or two years with COVID-19 have drastically accelerated the discussion of such things. You've got a global crisis, we need a global response to it, right? So all of that stuff is in play. But what we need to understand is that all of this is actually in keeping with Scripture. And we need to look at what the Bible says in order to help us know what to do and how we ought to live. So what does it mean? Well, if we look at all this stuff long enough, like if we look at just the circumstances or just the situations long enough and we look at them without the right context, we could feel like we're being swept along by forces that are completely out of our control. We can become fearful about what's coming next and we can end up like a lot of people in this world. However, when we look at it from the perspective of the Bible, it takes away fear, and it takes away frustration that people might feel. And we come to the conclusion that God, who is almighty, 
has a very predetermined plan for this world and its inhabitants, and he is currently bringing it to pass. And eventually, there's a day coming when, as Habakkuk 2.14 says, that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, the earth is going to be full of the knowledge of the glory of God. Psalm 72.11 says, All kings shall fall down before Him, and all nations shall serve Him. These are, these are the things that the Bible tells us are on the horizon for this world. Psalm 72, 17, His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in Him. All nations shall call Him blessed. Psalm 72, 19, And blessed be His glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. The book of Revelation predicts a time when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ. Revelation eleven fifteen, And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. The Bible tells us that God has a very exact plan for this world and its inhabitants, and He is currently bringing it to pass. So we need to look at all of this in connection with what the Word of God teaches us. So let's look at what the Bible has to say about all this globalism and what we can know for certain about the broader scope of world events, both past, present, future, and what it means for us and how we should be living now in light of the knowledge we have from God's Word. All right? Let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you'd use your Word and you would encourage us and challenge us again with it as we pray so often. Lord, I mean this, that your Word would be an encouragement and a challenge to God's people. Lord, may we be instructed so that we might know how to live and how to be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, we need to look at the course of history, the course of world history. What we see today in today's trends towards globalization was actually long ago anticipated in biblical prophecy. It's actually nothing new in this world as well. Why? Well, go back to Genesis chapter 10 with me. In Genesis chapter 10 we find, really, the first attempt at globalization. In Genesis chapter 10, let me direct your attention to verse 8. The Bible says, "...in Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord." Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kelna, and the land of Shinar. Now, the Bible shows us or introduces us to a man named Nimrod. His name probably means rebellion. There's some debate about that, but it's widely held that his name actually means rebellion. He was the one who established the, the empire of Babylon. He built the, or was the head of, the start of building the Tower of Babel. Go to Genesis chapter 11 and look at verse 1. Notice this. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city, 
and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now keep in mind, what was God's plan and what was God's intention for mankind? What did God tell Adam to do? He said, be fruitful and multiply, right? What did God tell Noah to do? To be fruitful and to multiply. And God's intent was that they would spread out across the whole earth to fill the earth. But notice what Nimrod is saying and others with him. They said, let's make a city and make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one. And they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the whole earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. We find the Lord's will was that they were scattered uh, across the face of the earth. It wasn't God's will for them uh, to to be one and to have a uh, this this one civilization and community and so on. Now look at First Chronicles, chapter one. The Bible said in Genesis that Nimrod began to be a mighty man in the earth. In 1 Chronicles chapter 1, pages are sticking. Apparently I'm not in 1 Chronicles very much. (laughs) Pages are all stuck together. Look at verse 10. And Cush began, begat Nimrod, and he began to be mighty upon the earth. Now, I, I was looking at that because, okay, what does it mean that he was mighty upon the earth? Was he powerful? Was he, you know, like, was he strong? Like, what was he? Was he rich? It was really interesting to come and find the meaning of this word. The word mighty here, it means a powerful tyrant. Yeah, huh, exactly. He began to be mighty in the earth. In other words, what the word of God is telling us is that Nimrod became the first global tyrant. And the father then of all future would-be tyrants. Some people actually say that, that Nimrod is the first prototype of the coming Antichrist. In the days of Nimrod, we find that God broke up the globalization of his empire by confounding the languages. What's also interesting is that later on, in the very same area of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar brought the then-known world under his power. He was the most powerful person there was on the planet. King Nebuchadnezzar in his day. Now go to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 2 is very interesting because it gives us almost a total prophetic sweep of world history. In Daniel chapter 2, notice verse 1. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Now, if you know your Bible, you know this story. The Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed this dream. It caused him trouble. There was a lot of angst. He was, there was anxiety over it. He wanted his wise men and his rulers to give him the interpretation of this dream. What does this mean? Have you ever dreamed something and it's just kind of disturbing? You're like, what in the world does that actually mean? Like you tie something to it, you know, which probably nothing to it, but regardless. 
it really bothered him. And he's like, someone's got to tell me what this means. And all of his wise men tried, and nobody could give him the interpretation of this, meet, of this dream. He got so frustrated that he was ready to kill all of his wise men. That's when Daniel enters the picture. Go down to verse 27 of Daniel chapter 2. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter. And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. I think that's interesting that Daniel is saying, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, what you dreamed, there's a God in heaven who can reveal this secret. And what is coming to your head is of God. He's telling you what the latter days are going to be and what's going to come to pass on this earth. You say, okay, well, what was the dream exactly that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed? Well, Nebuchadnezzar saw a massive statue. We could read all of this, but for the sake of time, I'll just talk it out with you. He saw a massive statue, huge statue. And the head of that statue was made of pure gold. And as you move down on the statue, the next part of him from, from the chest, maybe to the, to the middle of the, of the belly, and the arms, the chest and the arms was made of silver. And as you follow down on this massive statue, we find that from the stomach to the thigh was made out of bronze. And then from the thigh down to the ankle, the rest of the legs was made of iron. And then at the very bottom of this statue, the feet and the toes were partly iron and partly clay. All of those sections, the head, the chest, the arms, the, the, the torso from the stomach down to the thigh, the rest of the legs, the toes and the feet, all of those things represented world empires. And then after that, Nebuchadnezzar saw this rock that was queried by an invisible hand. He couldn't see it. And he saw that that rock hurtling through the air and it struck the statue. And that rock hit the statue, knocked it over, and actually crushed it into a million little pieces. And all of those pieces were completely swept away by the wind like chaff. But then the rock begins to grow. And it keeps on growing, and it gets bigger and bigger, and soon it becomes so big that it's as big as a mountain, and it covers the entire earth. Well, the interpretation of that dream was that the head of gold represented the Babylonian Empire. The chest of silver with the two arms was next. That was the next great world empire. It was the Medo-Persian Empire. The stomach and the thigh that was made of bronze represented the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. The legs of iron was the Roman Empire. The feet and the toes that was partly iron and partly clay was representative of a final world empire that arises in the last days. The best part was the rock. The rock is Jesus Christ, who will come and demolish this world empire that has grown up and then establish a truly global kingdom that's marked out by righteousness and holiness and peace, something the world has never known. And it kind of gives us this sweep of world history. After Babylon, there was the Persian Empire. Then it was Alexander the Great. Then came Rome. Under all of these governments of the world, there was a sort of globalization going on. 
These world empires, except it was without holiness and it was without recognition of God in all of them. After the fall of Rome, the Roman Empire, there has not been a single nation or empire that has dominated the world. Here comes then the feet. The feet and the toes that are partly iron and partly clay. That part has not been fulfilled yet. We saw the other world empires, the Babylonian Empire and the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. We've gotten all the way down to the ankles, but there's still the feet and the toes. And there hasn't been a, a nation that has dominated the world since the Roman Empire. But Daniel prophesies that there's another empire that's coming. There's going to be one more attempt at a one-world government in the future. And the Bible actually tells us that it's going to be somewhat of a revival of the Roman Empire. It's going to be made up of a confederation of ten kings or kingdoms that are going to be dominated by the Antichrist. That empire and that kingdom won't last very long, though, because it's going to come to an end with the second coming of Jesus Christ, the rock. Daniel 2.44 says this, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand, God's kingdom shall stand forever. Amen? That's the course of history. But secondly, consider with me the culmination of history. The culmination of history is really what we know as the millennial kingdom of Christ. That's the rock that comes and breaks in pieces, the Antichrist kingdom. It's based off of what we find in Revelation chapter 20. Go over there with me, please. Revelation chapter 20. Now stay with me. I'm going to get to the point in just a little bit. We're establishing this foundation here first, okay? Revelation 20, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled." And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which, was, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This is talking about the millennial reign of Christ, the reign of Christ on this earth for a thousand years. Now, we need to look at other passages of Scripture, but during that time, the time of Christ's reign, God is ultimately going to fulfill all the promises that He has made in Scripture regarding the nation of Israel and ultimately the future of this earth. We read some of those where the whole earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And all kings and all nations are going to worship Him. God made those promises. How is that going to come about? Listen, in the time of Christ's reign on this earth, all the world is going to see globalization at its finest. As Christ rules and reigns in righteousness, we say, well, what is that going to be like? Well, the Bible tells us a lot of things. First of all, we know the Bible tells us that Jerusalem is going to be the capital of this one world government under Christ. And all the people of the world are going to regularly come there to learn and to worship God. Isaiah 2.2 says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, 
Let us go up unto the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And the Bible says he shall judge among the nations. We find that the temple of God is described in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 40, that during the millennial reign of Christ, the temple is going to be the most beautiful thing on earth, and the temple is going to be filled with the glory of God. Ezekiel 43, 2 says, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and His voice was like a noise, and many waters, and the earth shined with His glory and you could read in Ezekiel yourself, it's a, it's a fairly long chapter, Ezekiel chapter 40, all the way up through 43, describing what that temple is going to look like. But we know as well that the earth is going to have a time of peace. Isaiah 2.4 says, He shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The earth has never known that. A time of peace. Christ is going to occupy the throne of David as prophesied in the scriptures. In Luke 1.32, the Bible says, He shall be great, he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. We know that the earth's population will come to Jerusalem to worship Christ. Zechariah 14, 16, it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. The Bible describes not only what people will do and what they will be like, but, but even the, the natural world. The deserts are going to become green and lush in the, in the reign of Christ. Isaiah 35, 1, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It'll blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. Even nature is going to be transformed. We talked about this, I think, even, I don't know, Wednesday night maybe, Isaiah 65, 25, that the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain, saith the Lord. The Bible talks about songs of praise ascending from the ends of the earth. Isaiah 24, 16, From the uttermost part of the earth have we heard songs, even glory to the righteous, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Man, what are we talking about here? sounds like heaven, doesn't it? But it's not heaven. These are all prophecies concerning the millennial reign of Christ on this earth. It's a prelude to what eternity is going to be like. Isaiah eleven nine 9 says, They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a great empire amen if you want to call it that that's globalization at its finest that's all coming but we say okay what does that mean for us and what should that do or how should that motivate us to live right now well there's some important principles that we can draw from this because we know the Lord has a plan. He will fulfill His plan for this world and its inhabitants. But we're not there yet, right? And there's a lot of things that are going to happen before the millennial reign of Christ. 
Namely, the rapture is going to happen. Number two, the tribulation is going to happen. And those are things that are very relevant. Those are things that, that really, those are all things that come before the millennial reign of Christ. And we will rule and reign with the Lord. Yes, amen. But how should we be living now in light of the knowledge that we have of what is coming? Because there's some things coming that are not so pleasant. Amen? So if the trajectory of history has been moving in the direction of globalization for quite some time, and it seems like, like what we've been talking about in our modern day could be just around the corner, and the Antichrist and his reign could be coming fairly soon, what sort of people should we be right now, and how should we be living? How should we be living as we wait for the return of the Lord. Amen? That's, that's a better question. We don't look for the Antichrist. We look for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how should we be living? Well, I want you to go with Act, over with me to Acts chapter 1, please. In Acts chapter 1, we find a wondrous moment described for us. But in this passage of Scripture and in this very moment that we'll read about, I think it answers these questions for us of how we should be living today. In Acts chapter 1, we find the ascension of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and I want you to, let's see, where do I want to start? Let's start in verse 9. Let's, let's actually go back to, uh, let's start before this, okay? Verse 6, when, therefore, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now, what a, before we start breaking some of this down, what a great promise that is in verse 11. Amen? This same Jesus that you've put all of your faith in, that you've trusted, that you believe to be the Messiah, the one that was crucified, the one that rose from the grave, the one that you were in doubt about at times, and he's proven himself. Now he's with you again, and you see this very same Jesus. He's going to come again in like manner as you have seen him go. Meaning he's coming from heaven, he's going to put his feet on this earth. What a great promise that is in that verse. And with that promise of the Lord's return in our hand, I want to give you three things out of this passage that the Lord gave to His disciples or that the disciples uh, really needed for themselves that are also answers for us about how we should live this very day in light of the good news that's coming tomorrow. The first thing that I want you to draw your attention to in a principle for us for how we should live today is that we ought to worship or focus on Christ. First and foremost, in the day that we live in, in spite of all that's going on around, we need to worship and focus on Jesus Christ. In the Bible says here in verse 11, ye men, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken from you shall so come in like manner. The Bible says in verse 9 that when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. 
They were focusing on Christ. Now, they weren't supposed to stay gazing up into heaven, but I'm making this application for you and for me. Because it always strikes me, this whole story, like I tried to imagine, I always try to put myself in Bible character shoes, the things that they were going through, right? So could you imagine, as you're there with the Lord Jesus Christ, what an amazing sight that must have been to behold. And imagining this, standing there with the Lord, and I, I'm, I love the Lord, and I, 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 I know that, that there's, there's, like, He's so much bigger than me, and I've given my life to Him, and all of a sudden I see Him levitating and rising and leaving, and He's doing what He said He would do. And I'm standing here watching all of this, and it must have just been an amazing thing to behold for these disciples. And imagining it myself makes me want to worship Christ. Why? Because, listen, Jesus Christ came into this world. He died for the sin of the world. He ascended back to heaven, where He assumed His rightful place at the hand of the Father. And I can't imagine even all that must have been in their minds that day, but it surely seems like one of the things that was going through their mind was, wow! Which is exactly how we ought to behold Christ, with wow. One of the disciples who was there that day was the Apostle John. Later on, John saw a vision of the glorified Christ. Remember in Revelation chapter 1? Let's go over there, Revelation 1. It'll help you stay awake. I'm losing some of you. Go ahead, sleep. It's your loss. <laughs> right, Kara? Oh, wait. <laughs> I know, it wasn't her. It wasn't her. <laughs> I just like to pick on her. But it made you pay attention, see? So. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1. Verse 12, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters." And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And notice verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. What kind of a response did John have to this vision of the glorified Christ? It caused him to fall down at his feet as dead. You remember, you remember Isaiah when he saw a vision or it was in the presence of the Lord. When, when Isaiah got a vision of God, it caused him to fall down before the Lord, to worship Him, to understand his own sinfulness besides. And what I'm saying is this. The world that we live in can become a lot of noise and it, it can become very distracting, and we focus in on the things and on the circumstances, and we, we begin to, you know, to, to put all of our gaze and all of our focus on these things, and we can become fearful, and we can become really distracted when what we need to be doing is gazing on Christ, focusing on Christ. And here's the reason, friend. We need to keep our gaze and our focus and our worship on Christ as we live in this world because worshiping Him keeps us focused on eternal realities, not temporal problems or temporal situations. It keeps us calm amid the seemingly erratic times that we live in. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. The first thing for us and the foundation for us is that we need to be focused on Christ, not the problems, because it helps keep us focused on the eternal realities, because this world is not our home. 
The second thing that we find in that text is that we need to embrace our global mission. Go back to Acts chapter 1. Don't go to sleep because this is important right here. We need to embrace our global mission. In verse 6, the disciples asked the Lord. They came together and they said, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? See, they were still thinking in terms of that the Messiah would be this conquering king and he would free them from Roman oppression and he would restore the kingdom to Israel. And they're like, is it going to happen right now? In verse 7, he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but here's what you need to do and here's what you need to understand. Ye shall receive power or ability after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Well, how should the disciples be living? What did Jesus say when, to them when they're like, hey, is it going to happen now? Jesus said the thing that you need to be focused on right now is your global mission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The disciples, listen, the disciples didn't stay in that spot gazing up into heaven very long. They had been given orders by Jesus Christ and by, to go preach the gospel. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 2, they are preaching to thousands and thousands of people. And in a world, here's the application. In a world that is globalizing, we have a mission that is global. Our global mission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And, and we can look at the situation like, whoa, all these things are happening, and it's like what's moving into this globalization and this one-world system and this one-world government. But listen, <coughs> never before in human history have we had the opportunity to take the gospel into every town and every tribe and every tongue so readily. The world thinks of globalization in terms of economic or technological or political fact. But I'm saying to you, as Plaque Road Baptist Church, may we see globalization as an unprecedented opportunity for us to take the gospel to every creature. Our current generation has unprecedented opportunities to proclaim the name of Christ in all the world. Listen, really to every tribe and every tongue and every nation. If you look around and you see multitudes of people, you'll probably find multitudes of people that are afraid, that are confused, that are wondering what is going on in this world. And I think people get a sense something isn't right. Something is about to happen. Something is going on. The world has not been like this. Not that we remember or know of. Not in our time. And what we need to understand is that maybe the Lord is actually doing something unusual in our day to prepare hearts for one last chance to repent and to turn to Christ. And at a time when we've never had more potential for reaching the globe than right now. You say, well, we're a small church, or I can't do very much. I would ask you this. What tools do you have to work with? Well, number one, you've got your local church. Christ gave authority to His church. He gave power to his church. A church functions according to its individual members. We have outreach opportunities in our church, like Great Commission Day, for example, and our native outreach that we are working hard in right now. Do you participate in that? What tools do you have to work with? Well, you've got your local church and our own outreach ministries. What about giving to missions? Have you slacked in your giving to world missions? Have you even started giving in world missions? That's a tool that you have to work with. 
to put the gospel in every hand, in every home across this globe. We support 30, at least 30 missionaries. Do you pray for them? Do you know them? Every Wednesday night, I try to read a prayer letter to try to keep a missions focus in our church. We have Great Commission Day. We have this uh, outreach that we're working on. We have, we have Faith Promise Missions Giving, a way to organize and help systematically give towards missions in this world. Just all of these things are centered around getting the gospel in people's hands, which is our global mission. You've got tools to work with. We've got our own missionary, Brother Noah George, and many others. Do you know what their ministries are about? Do you pray for them? Say, I don't have much or I can't do much. That's actually not true. What are you doing with the tools that you have? Beyond that, every single person has one of these. And every person has a computer. Most people are on something called social media. This has been something that I don't do a lot of posting on social media. I do a lot of looking and reading. I didn't say trolling. That's a terrible word to use. You're a troll. You know what I notice? And the, sometimes the temptation is there. It doesn't happen, but the temptation is there. To read through articles, get news, get information, and then kind of start looking at what people are saying about these things. And when you look at what people are saying, the temptation is there like, oh, I'm going to tell you, oh, you, you are dumb. I'm going to tell you right now. And I don't do that. But the thought occurred to me, and I'm sure it's probably occurred to you, that there's so much information that's right here, and there's so much capability that's right here. Maybe the capability should be used more as a tool for getting the gospel into this world, less debating over issues or over politics and more proclaiming of Jesus Christ. I appreciate it when I come across posts or people who make comment. I mean, I appreciate the passion that some people have for politics too. There's, there's a place for it. But I really appreciate it when there's like a, a particular person or an individual who like the you can tell by everything that they put out there, everything. It is centered around Jesus Christ. It is centered around praising Him. It's centered around giving the gospel. It's centered on the Word of God. Every last thing they put out there is pretty much centered around the spiritual and the Lord Jesus Christ. That always blesses my soul. So if you're going to post, let's do that. And I can say that because I don't post. <laughs> But we've got tools that we've never had before that can help us. And not every, not every tool works for every situation. But what I'm saying is you've got tools. And the, the real issue is that as long as Christ tarries, as long as he has not come back, then we're here for a reason. And that reason is that we've got to keep going, keep sending, Keep sowing the seed everywhere, even unto the uttermost part of the earth. That is our only mission. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons, but here's what you do need to know. I'm going to give you power. And when you have this power, you need to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Start here and into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Listen, that is how we should be living in these last days as we wait for the promise of what the Lord said. The last thing 
is to anticipate our glorious hope. In our text in Acts 1 and verse 11, the angel said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He's going to come. Just like he left, he's coming back. And you know what, friends? From that point on, from that point on, every New Testament hero began looking for and longing for the return of Jesus Christ. Titus 2 in verse 12 says, teaching us that, talking about the grace of God, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus, or chapter 2, in verse 14 says, "...who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee." The things that Titus was supposed to teach the church and teach Christian people was that we are to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, and we're to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God. And Paul said to Titus, he said, these are the things that you need to speak to the people. These are the things that you need to speak with all authority, indicating that these are the important things, the way that we ought to be living right now. We know that human-based globalism isn't the answer for the world's problems. Why is the world moving headlong that way? Well, we see COVID, it's a global problem. We need to have some sort of a global response. We've got inequities and there's income classes and people, it's not fair. So we should have a one world system that's a currency that's gonna elevate everybody. These are problems in the world, and so the answer is globalization. Well, human-based globalism is not going to be the answer to the world's problems, and we know that. Ultimately, it's only going to lead to the final one-world government of the Antichrist. And I don't know how far away the world is from those times. I'm not going to be here for the rule of the Antichrist. The rapture is going to happen. And listen, that's another thing. We know that the rapture is going to happen. That should be very compelling for us as God's people. It should be compelling in this regard. There's all kinds of people, friends, family, co-workers, who are not going to be raptured. We know that it's coming. We know that this is going to be the next thing. It ought to be compelling to us then to get out there and tell them of their need of Jesus Christ. What about your family members who are not saved? Think about it. I know when you think about this, when you think about this right now, I know the feelings that you're having. You have inside of you this concern. They do need this because it's true. But the problem is, or the thing that you're fighting with right now, is the nerve to actually go say something. Well, that doesn't come from us. It comes from His power that He promised. But it should be so compelling to us because they're going to miss it. I don't know how far away the world is from those tumultuous days under the Antichrist reign. Maybe it's only one crisis away. But no matter what it is, and no matter when, the Lord always has everything under control, and He's using the events of the world right now to bring about His plan for this world. 
He will come back for His saints. Amen? But then after that is the tribulation. And He will ascend to this earth. And He will establish His global kingdom. And He will show the world that He is God. It will happen just as He said. But in the meantime, let's focus on Him every day. Amen? Let's speed the gospel on its way. Let's look forward to our glorious hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is how we should be living today in light of what we know is coming tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, use your word to challenge us in these truths. And specifically, to help us be focused on the eternal, to focus on Christ, to worship Him, and the things that we know that He has said to us, may it compel us then to be obedient to the mission that He's given to us to preach the gospel to every creature. As people sit and listen to a message like this, Lord, I pray that You'd help everyone to internalize it, to make it personal, to understand that I get to reap the benefits of what God said He's going to do in this world because I'm a believer. But there are so many, my friends, my family, who don't know you. And maybe they've been witnessed to before, or maybe they've rejected their the gospel before, or not been interested, but Lord, burden my heart for them. Give me your power to say something to them. I know what's coming. Father, that we would be focused on our global mission. And as we do, Lord, to anticipate and look for that blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.